Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through to 20. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons. Blessed, sons of God, sorry. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to do our... Hi, everyone. Um, If you could turn with me in your Bibles to our second reading, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 48. So we're starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make an even one hair, white or black, Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and truth for truth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the end of the reading. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us today still through your living word. And we pray that as we hear your word, we might hear you. And we pray that your spirit will be working in us, conforming us to the likeness of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How good must Christians be? That's the question today. How good must Christians be? Now, I'm not asking here, how good must Christians be to be saved or to go to heaven or to have eternal life? Because if, you're, if you are a Christian or if you've been coming here long enough, you will know that being a Christian does not depend on you. Becoming a Christian does not depend on you. Your salvation, your eternal life, your place in heaven, it's totally God's initiative. It's totally God's free gift, and that's what grace is. But the question I'm asking today is, how good must a Christian be once you are saved, once you already belong to the kingdom of heaven? So is it okay for Christians to say a lie once in a while? You know, a white lie. We know those type of lies, don't we? So when Yvonne asked me, do I look big in this dress? What do I say? Do I try to speak the truth to her in love and get in trouble and not have dinner for a week? Or do I tell a white lie? What do I do? Or when I ask Yvonne after each Sunday evening, how was the evening service this week? Was it okay? Was the sermon okay? Do you understand? Was it faithful? She could speak the truth in love. It was horrible. People were falling asleep all over the place. Or she could tell me a white light. Fifteen conversions tonight. Is it okay for Christians to retaliate, to seek revenge? In parts of the world, you'll know, in Egypt, in Syria, Christians are persecuted. Christian groups are persecuted by extremist groups. And so is it okay for Christians to fight back? And so when our churches are bombed or burnt down, is it okay for us to take revenge, to bomb their, their mosque or, or synagogue or whatever that might be? Is it okay for Christians to retaliate, to seek revenge? It sounds fair, doesn't it? You take my church, I take your mosque. Is it okay for Christians to hate, to hate those who hate us, to hate those who hate God? I mean, we read the Bible, we read Malachi, we studied this earlier this year, and we read that God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And so if God hates, and if it's okay for God to hate, well, is that okay for us to hate as well? To hate the enemies of God. So what do you think about all this? Well, in the eyes of our world, in the eyes of the community, our society, lies can be justified. Can't they? they justify lies, don't they? I mean, if our government continues to waste our tax money, it's okay to fudge the tax a little bit. They don't deserve it anyway. Just fudge it a little bit. Revenge. Revenge can be justified, can't it? Now, that's justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So you must seek revenge. Hatred. Well, hatred is not only justified, it just makes sense. Those who hate you, of course it makes sense to hate them back. 
Those who bully you, of course, it's right to bully them back and to hate them. That makes sense in the eyes of this world, doesn't it? And so our question today, how good must a Christian be? Is it ever okay to lie, to seek revenge, to hate? Well, over the last several weeks, we've been working through the greatest sermon ever. We've heard it. It's not my sermon. It's not anyone's sermon. It's a sermon of our Lord Jesus. Jesus was teaching the crowd, teaching them. They were sitting on the mount, and every word that came from Jesus' mouth was like a ton of bricks laid on their head, dropping on them. And the key verse in our first reading, verse 20, Jesus making a shocking claim about the state of the Pharisees. They were thinking the Pharisees were the righteous people, those who were living the great life, the good life. But Jesus said to them, you think the Pharisees are living that righteous life, the good life that God wants, even though they're so strict in their law-keeping, so rigorous in that, you think they're righteous? But Jesus says, you are wrong. You are wrong. If you want to live the righteous life, if you want to live the good life, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And so what does this righteousness look like? What does it look like to live the good life that God expects of Christians? Well, over the last several weeks, we've seen several examples already. You see, you're a murderer not only when you kill someone with your hands. You're a murderer if you kill someone with your heart. It begins with anger. You're an adulterer not only when you physically commit adultery and sleep around. It actually begins with the heart. So when you lust with your eyes, with your thoughts, with your heart, you are an adulterer. And so Jesus was setting the standard. This is what the good life looks like. This is what the righteous life looks like. And in our passage today, Jesus gives us three more examples. He says, there must be no lies on your lips at all. You must never seek revenge for evil, ever. And there must be no extent to your love, none. And so let's consider these three. So firstly, there must be no lies upon your lips. Imagine when Jesus said that. A ton of bricks has just dropped on their heads. No lies at all? Even the white lies? Well, let's have a look. So look at your Bibles. Open up to chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths you have made to the Lord. Jesus is saying here, if you make an oath, you keep it. You make a promise, you make sure you do it. But you see, the Pharisees, they were very good at avoiding the law. They were very good at law avoidance. And so what happened was that they missed the point of the law completely. You see, the point of making any oath, making any promise, was to show that I am trustworthy. You can trust in what I'm saying. I'm speaking the truth. And so when I make a promise, you can trust that I'll do it. That's the point of making any oath. Instead, these Pharisees, they were in fact finding avenues to to not speak the truth, to not keep their promises. They were trying to find legitimate ways to evade promise-keeping. And so what the Pharisees did was they built this complex system of oath-keeping. And it depended on what you swear by. If you swear by something that is not God or less than God, it means that it's not as binding. And so, for example, if I swear to God, swear by God, 
uh, then, then there's no one more important than God, and you can be dead sure I will keep that promise. But if I swear by heaven, I'm not using God's name, well, that's less binding. It's less important. So they built this complex system of oath-making. And the rabbis would say, if I swear by Jerusalem, that's not binding at all. But if I swear toward Jerusalem, that is binding. And so you you see that the Pharisees, they were playing games with oath-making. They were finding ways to evade promise-keeping. It was sort of like a license to lie. If I make an oath by something that is not that important, it was a license to not keep that promise. And so it will be a bit like this. If I make a promise to you now that I will go into the kitchen to cook you a homemade meal. Now, those who know me well know that that doesn't really happen at all. But I'm making a promise. I'll make homemade pasta for you. I'll make real sauce, not out of the can. And I swear to you by the life of Yvonne's sister. Now, those of you who know Yvonne will know that she doesn't have a sister. So you know what I've done? I've evaded that promise. I don't care if she dies or not, she doesn't exist. So do you see what the Pharisees were doing? They were playing games with promise-keeping. And so Jesus says to them, no more playing games. Whatever you swear by, doesn't matter what it is at all, it's irrelevant because the whole of creation belongs to God and God stands behind everything. And so whatever you swear by, it's all binding. Whatever you swear by, it's all binding. And so stop evading your oath by finding some technicality. In fact, don't swear at all. And so have a look with me at verse 34. Jesus says, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the, great, it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. And so Jesus is saying, don't swear at all, not even by your own head, because you have no control over your own head. And so Jesus is saying, stop finding loopholes to weasel yourself out of keeping your promise. Don't swear at all. And so verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so Every time you speak, speak the truth. If you say yes, mean yes. If you say no, mean no. Don't allow yourself to be like the devil, to fight off lies. And so you see how the whole point of making any oath was to speak the truth, was to keep your promise. But the Pharisees, you see, they've butchered that. Now, what are we to make of this? Well, we are to see that God says your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. This is what the good Christian life looks like. This is what the good Christian life is. Now, I must say that this, is, this teaching here is not saying that Christians must never take an oath. It's not teaching that. I mean, we, if you go to court, you need to take an oath over the Bible. That's okay. It's not saying that that's not allowed. Uh, Christian lawyers, they have, they'll have to take an oath when they're admitted to the bar. It's not saying that you can't do that. But what Jesus is saying is, whether you take an oath or not, in a sense it's irrelevant because you should be speaking the truth all the time. Taking an oath should not add any more weight to what you say because you should be speaking the truth all the time. 
And so let's think about that as a church, as Christians. Those of you who call yourself Christians, do we speak the truth always? Do you find yourself bending the truth just a little bit so that you don't get into trouble? You know, officer, I I didn't see uh, that I was speeding. You bend the truth a bit. Do you ever find yourself exaggerating a little bit? I caught a fish this big. Do you ever find yourself telling a white lie? You look so slim, you should go and be a supermodel and I'll support you. Do we bend the truth? Do we exaggerate the truth? Now, as parents, Yvonne and myself, we're always very conscious of this, that we must always speak the truth to our kids. When we make a promise to them, we always ensure and we keep each other accountable that we will fulfill those promises. So if we say we'll take him Maccas, we make sure we do take him to Maccas, even if it's inconvenient. And so how are we going? How are you going at telling and speaking the truth always? How are you going at keeping your promises? Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed, noticed this, but our current generation, it's what we call the Stabo generation. Have you seen this term? The Stabo generation? It is subject to a better offer generation. And I'm sure this is true for many of you. I've been invited to a party. Uh, I've been invited to church, to growth groups, out for a drink, have a coffee. But my answer is always maybe. Maybe because I'm thinking in my mind, I'm subject to a better offer. So I say maybe. I don't let my yes be yes or my no be no. And I'm always the one who RSVPs at the last minute. And that's me. That's the Stabo generation. And I'm sure this is true for you too. By the way, camp is due next week, okay? (laughs) But if this is you, if this is how you are as a person, always non-committal, a maybe. Well, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Never be a maybe, but inside, in your heart, think, I'm subject to a better offer. Be a man of your word, a woman of your word. Let no lies be found on your lips at all. So that's the first example Jesus is teaching here. Now the second one. There must be no revenge for evil ever. Another ton of bricks has just dropped on the crowd. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now what is Jesus getting on about here? Do not resist an evil person. How is that just at all? I've got an auntie who's a non-Christian, non-believer, and she came across this verse she heard, and she thought, this is silly. Who would believe this stuff? Why would I ever want to become a doormat? But what is Jesus teaching here? Well, Jesus is not teaching this. He's not teaching that Christians should become pacifists. Now, what I mean by that is you should not be involved in any violence at all. And so don't join the police force. Don't join the army. Now, I remember I was asked this question. I used to work as an engineer for the Department of Defense. And I was asked this question, how can you work for the Department of Defense? They build bombs and jets and missiles to kill people. Well, back then as a young man, I was thinking, isn't that pretty cool? Why wouldn't you? (laughs) But there's a place to defend your country, isn't there? There's a place to defend countries that are in need, that are weak, that that are in need of help. 
And so that's why it's called a defence department. It's not called the offensive department. We're there to defend and to maintain peace. And so Jesus is not promoting pacifism here. Rather, the weak and needed should always be defended. What Jesus is also not teaching here is he's not encouraging evil, that evil will prevail. He's also not encouraging injustice. Rather, what Jesus is teaching here is don't seek personal revenge. Don't seek personal revenge. Rather, you as a person, as a Christian, be forbearing, be self-controlled. Don't go out on a personal vendetta. Don't become a vigilante. Now, some of you guys at night, you're perhaps secret Batmans and Catwomans. You're out there on the streets trying to find the bad guys and, and to kill them. Some of you might, might be that. But Jesus is saying, go to sleep, leave the evil people alone, I'll deal with them. All right, go to sleep, don't become Batman. But Jesus is saying, if you want justice, seek justice the right way. You use the police, the state. They, they bear the sword for a reason. They are God's, God's agent in justice. That's what Romans 13 tells us. Don't take justice into your own hands. And you see, that was the problem of the Pharisees. They took justice into their own hands. You see, the Old Testament law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that was a law to define what justice was. But it also was a law to restrain revenge. And so if you, as a person, pluck the eye of a neighbouring tribe, the court will say justice says that your eye must be plucked out, eye for eye. And what that meant was that justice was done. One eye for one eye, and it's over. The case is over. Justice has been served. But you see, it also prevented revenge. Because without that, if you pluck someone else's eye, they take your arm, you take their head, they take your tribe. You see, it's to prevent revenge, personal revenge, which becomes a cycle. But the Pharisees, you see, what they did was they used this law, which was meant to be for the state. It's a law for the state, not a personal law. A law for the state, they, they took it from the state in which... It, the realm in which it belonged, and they extended to the personal realm, the personal relationship realm, where it did not belong. And so what they did in doing so was the law which was meant to prevent personal revenge was used to uh, justify personal revenge. Do you get that? A law which was used to prevent personal revenge, they used it to justify their own revenge. And so Jesus now applies this principle to four cases. Look at verse 39 with me. Jesus says, If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, be self-controlled. Don't hit back. Turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, don't swear at him. Don't rain down curses at him. Don't say, what's wrong with you? But let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile... Now, in the ancient world, the Roman soldiers had this right. They could get you as a civilian to carry their luggage for a mile or however long they want. And so Jesus says, don't feel hard done by this, but accept this imposition cheerfully. Go with him two miles. Go the extra mile. That's where that saying comes from. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus say, says here, be willing to be generous and don't shoot off those in need. 
And so what Jesus is saying in all these situations is, if someone is evil towards you personally, who imposes on you, never return evil for evil, but return good for evil. Okay. So what are we to make of this today as Christians? Well, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, and this is what it looks like. You must be this good as a Christian. You must be this righteous as a Christian. And so when you are hurt, we all experience injustice. We are all imposed upon. And when we feel that, when we feel that evil has been done, been done towards us, we don't seek revenge for evil ever. We don't seek personal revenge. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find that very hard. I find that very difficult because if someone's going to punch me, I want to punch him back, but punch him harder. And I'll fake some kung fu moves to scare him off. But if someone does something evil to my family, then you know what? This natural inclination of mine, this sinful inclination of mine will be out. I'll be out like Batman at night seeking revenge if someone hurts my family. But what does Jesus teach you? Well, obviously, if it's criminal, you go through the normal means, the right means. Seek justice through the courts, police, the state. But, of course, with many things in life, we have been hurt, rights are imposed on, we've been offended. But Jesus says, don't seek personal revenge. Do not retaliate. Forbear it. But how is it possible that you can live that way? How is it possible at all? You've experienced injustices. I've experienced that. Well, we need to remember this word from the Apostle Paul. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reality is that in our sinful world, there will be evil, there is injustice, and we will experience this. But you know what? As Christians, we can actually have a deep sense of peace because we know that God will avenge us. God will deal with evil one day. All evil, no one will get away with evil. When we take revenge on someone, we're thinking that person's getting away. But that's not true at all. That person will not get away, for that person will face God one day. Evil will never be... There will be no evil person who will get away with evil, ever. And so, there must be no revenge on our behalf for evil. We leave it to God. Finally, the third teaching from Jesus... There must be no extent to your love. None at all. Another ton of bricks dropped on the crowd. None? No extent? Well, look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what is Jesus talking about here? Not just love your enemies, but pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Is that for real? Now, you see, the problem here was that the Pharisees actually got the Old Testament law wrong. 
Nowhere in the Old Testament does God permit you, permit anyone to hate your enemies. But what the Pharisees did was a bit of technicality. They said, uh, they thought, okay, I'm just to love my, uh, my neighbors. And so because my enemy are not my neighbor, I'm allowed to hate them. That's given me permission to hate my enemy. But Jesus says that's not the point of the law at all. You're meant to love everyone. Everyone is your neighbor. Your enemy is your neighbor. And that was the point of Jesus in the parable of the, great, uh, the Good Samaritan. Everyone is a neighbor. And so Jesus is saying here, love even your enemy. And why? Look at verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, we're told to live this way because this is what God is like. God's love does not just extend to the people of Israel. God's love extends beyond that to Gentiles like us, to enemies. And so God's love extends to those who say to God, I don't care for you. I don't want to know you. You stay away from me. But you know what? God still gives them sunshine. God still sends them rain. It's not like you know, this holy suburb of Surrey Hills where we are the center of this holy place. We get all the sunshine. We get all the rain. And we've got all that today anyway. But the rest of Melbourne, they're left in darkness. And they're left in trouble. It doesn't work that way, does it? God's love extends to his enemies. And so when we live like this, we are like God. Now, if you think about this, this is the way God is. And if you think about this, if you just love those who love you, if you only love those of your same kind, then you're actually no different to the tax collectors. You're actually no different to the scumbags of society. Because if you think about that, the drug lords love those who love them too. Have a look at verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And so what are we make to make of all this today? Well, the lesson is the same. Your righteousness as Christians must surpass that of the Pharisees. You want to live a good Christian life? A righteous life? Well, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like here. So we don't just love our family. We don't just love our friends. We don't just love our colleagues, our peers. We don't just love those in the Christian union. We don't only love those who are lovable. We love our enemies, those who mock you because you're not cool, those who tease you because you're a Christian. You pray for them. The bully at school who bullies you because you're small. You love them. The insensitive and rude boss who takes it out of, on you because he can. What do we do? Well, we pray for them. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? This Christian way of living. Really crazy. No extent to your love at all. Now, recently you may remember this. Only several weeks ago, on the 12th of October, there was the anti-abortion rally here in Melbourne through the streets of the city. Remember that? On the 12th of October. On the Friday night before this rally, there was a Youth for Life dinner. 
And the leader of this rally, Brian Kemper, he was the one leading the rally, he was giving a speech on this night. And then as he was giving a speech, a group of pro-abortionists, they burst into the room, they started chanting and causing trouble. Now what do you do if you're giving a speech? Say, security, take these nutters outside. That's what I'll do. Well, what did this guy do? He prepared the table for them. He stopped his speech. He got them to sit down to share food and wine with them. And the group did do that. They sat down for about 10 minutes before they got restless and left. That's loving the enemy, isn't it? That's loving the enemy. Another person who understands this teaching really well was Martin Luther King. He was a Baptist minister. He was subjected to so much suffering, so much unjust sufferings. And in the end, he was assassinated. Now, when he died at his funeral, his mentor said this, If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bomb, living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him, and yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and he went up and down the length and breadth of this world, preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. As hard as it is, as crazy as it is, as extreme as it is, this is the life that Christians have been called to. A life where our goodness, our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. There is no limit to our love. Now when we consider these three examples of Jesus today, who can live such a life? Think about it. Who can live that type of life? Who can do it? It's impossible. But you know what? There was one who did it, who fulfilled it perfectly, who never spoke a word of lie at all, who never retaliated when people were evil towards him, who never stopped loving, especially the enemies. And this is Christ. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We must remember this, this passage from 1 Peter. To this you were called. If you are a Christian, this is what you were called to. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. No lies at all upon his lips. When they hurled insults, their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. No revenge for evil. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Just imagine if you were the Lord of this universe. You had infinite power at your disposal. And you were mocked. You were spat on. You were flogged. You were stripped naked. You were crucified. What would you have done? You have infinite power at your disposal. I would call the legion of angels to go and massacre that people. Die. You're mucking around with the creator of the universe. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So how good must Christians be? That's our question at the beginning. Well, it's as good as this. Like Jesus, like God. And Jesus tells us in our final verse, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the life we have been called to. Christians are called to live and to lead and to strive for this perfect life. And so we should never justify lies, should never justify revenge, we should never justify hatred. Instead, there must be no lies ever upon our lips. So if I'm to ask you tonight, how was the service? How was the sermon? You tell me the truth, right? <laughs> no revenge for evil ever. No extent to our love. And we work hard. We work very hard to live this perfect life that God has called us to. But now I don't want to leave you going away feeling crippled by this burden of perfection. Though we must strive for it, that is what we were called to, perfection. I don't want to leave you crippled by that, but instead I want to remind you again the beginning of the Sermon of Jesus. Blessed are you if you know that you are not perfect. Blessed are you if you know that you are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know and see how perfect you are. And we see that in your Son, Jesus. No deceit at all on his lips. No revenge for evil. No extent to his love that he would love enemies like us. And so help us, please, in your grace and by your Spirit, that we will be like Jesus, striving to live that perfect life that you have called us to. But help us to remember that in the presence of perfection, we are nothing. We are sinners. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor in spirit. And so we thank you for your grace that because of that and because of Jesus, ours is the kingdom of heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.